What's going on, everybody? It's Flag to Flag. Jeremy Kaufman and Kristen Schiaffoletti with you. Man, what a great day of racing we had yesterday. There is no bigger day in racing than the Sunday before Memorial Day. Kicked off with Monaco. I'm so happy we got the Indy 500 in because it didn't look good with those rain chances. I really <laughs> didn't think we were going to be watching that thing All on week, Sunday. we were like, 90% chance. I, everybody was <laughs> like that. I couldn't believe it. We got the race in. We had a fantastic race, and we wrapped it up with a very exciting running of the Coca-Cola 600 as well. Just a great day of wall-to-wall racing. Shout-out to Lewis Hamilton. He started the morning by winning the Formula One race out there in Monaco. Uh, fantastic showing there. And uh, we'll start by talking the Coca-Cola 600. Going to jump into the Indy 500 a little bit later on in the show. As far as the Coca-Cola 600, though, big win for Martin Truex Jr. Mm-hmm. That's his second time winning the Coca-Cola 600. He did it in 2016 as well when he led 392 <laughs> laps of the Coca-Cola 600, the most somebody's ever led in that race. Didn't lead quite as many this time around, but he still led the most laps, 116 right. of the 400 laps. Most lead changes we've seen in a while, too, at Charlotte for the Coca-Cola 600. We had 30 lead changes among 11 different drivers and we definitely had quite a bit of cautions, too. Yeah. Almost five hours long, the runtime. Just uh, uh, just under five hours long. 16 caution flags for 80 laps. And how many of them were tires? <laughs> that was the thing that was really uh, surprising. Man, the tire issues early on in this race were pretty wild. And what was interesting is how isolated they were to the Gibbs cars. Right. Uh, the first incident was Eric Jones, who you have to feel for. I mean, lap 20 of the Coca-Cola 600 is basically where he is, and that car was killed. Yeah. He hit the wall very hard, and that's pretty early to see a tire failure, which was really surprising, honestly, to me. I didn't expect that, but when we got to Matt Benedetto blowing a tire not that long afterward, I'm like, okay, this is getting it a little weird, you know? Yeah. I'm like, okay, well, that's another Gibbs-affiliated car, but there's some differences. Maybe this is coincidental. Who knows what's going to actually be the case here with these tire issues. We keep going forward. That's lap 49, <laughs> lap 75 now. Here goes Truex, who's leading the race. Right. And hits the wall with what was a fantastic car. So you're like, okay, that's now three Gibbs-affiliated cars, and we're still in stage one. Mm-hmm. This is starting to look not good. And you know Denny Hamlin and Kyle Busch got to be worried, too, as they're <laughs> seeing these guys blow tires left and right. So Truex, obviously, he rebounded. I didn't think he was going to be able to. I thought he got the wall good enough that was going to really mess up his day. But Truex rebounded rebounded very well. And obviously, he won the race. So that was pretty incredible. It's amazing how these guys were able to bounce back. A lot of damaged cars running up in the top 10. We also saw Denny Hamlin, lap 175. He has a tire issue. So now every Gibbs car has had a tire issue with the exception of Kyle Busch. I wonder what he was saying in his... Oh, you you got to be on such (laughs) pins and needles with that. I mean, everybody's had a failure. He's very lucky. He never had a failure throughout the whole race. I really that man was, avoids everything. I was waiting for it. I'll tell you what. Kyle Busch had so <laughs> many close calls. His brother spun out, hits him in the door, and he's so lucky because we've seen so many times where it peels your door off like a can opener. Yep. He got very lucky that didn't happen. And then he ends up in the back repairing a little bit of the damage he got, and they have the freaking big one at Charlotte right in front of him. And, he and Austin Dillon, who's right in front of him, clobbers Kyle Larson. And Kyle Busch gets out of that one, too. Just barely. Fantastic driving. And, you know, talking that wreck, William Byron did a fantastic job avoiding that. He was right on the high side. I don't know how he got through that incident. But Byron and Busch both did some amazing uh, evasive maneuvers Maneuvers, to avoid that crash. (laughs) I have no clue how they managed to pull that off. The first thing I want to see here is the tire issues that we had in the Coca-Cola 600. While we did have a number of incidents for these Gibbs cars, Mm -hmm. it it began to not be 
as isolated. We saw Brad Keselowski have a tire issue. We saw uh, Chris Buescher have a tire issue. Uh, Denny Hamlin had a rear tire go down later in the race, and he ended up spinning out the car. Keselowski with a similar situation. So we had a couple of tire issues, and I was kind of surprised to see that. It's been a while since we had so many tire issues in a race. And you know the talk is going to be on Goodyear. Whenever we have a race like this where there's numerous tire issues, the heat kind of comes back on Goodyear. And when you look at the caution flags, about half of them were for tire issues. So you got to look at this. I think Goodyear needs to really look at this tire here because as much as there was probably too much camber or something on the Gibbs cars that maybe was causing those incidents, we still had a few incidents on those tires causing issues. And I really think that Goodyear needs to sit back and see what was wrong with this tire because I don't think you can put this all on Gibbs. There was something wrong with the tire they brought to the track that was the not fact, Like you durable. said, the fact it was other drivers than Gibbs. Right. If it was just Gibbs, like it was then in the beginning, I was leaning right. on, all right, there's something in their setup that is just too rough on these tires. That's what the case has got to be. But as we went through the race and we saw other issues, granted there weren't that many that weren't Gibbs cars, but still it looks like there was something up with that tire that was causing it to blow out. Right. Something else that was really interesting about this race, too, you know, we, we used the traction compound again. I know some people aren't a big fan of the traction compound. But NASCAR uses that to make better racing to help with some of these other grooves. But we saw something we've never seen at Charlotte. And the announcers were clearly dumbfounded, especially DW. We slowed down as the track cooled off. That never happens. Hot and slick, you know, these guys are all over the place. We started to slow down. And you wonder if maybe that traction compound is starting to wear off as we go through the race. And that's why you saw the drop in speeds because the track had that compound just laid mm-hmm. on it, and it was great at the start, even though it was hot and slick. And then it's gone. Exactly. And to me, that's the problem with that. You really shouldn't have a racetrack where the grip changes because the spray you put down on the track starts to where? dissipate, yeah. you know? I don't think that's right. I think we need to do something better with these cars if that's it's the issue. like a issue. permanent fix. Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I know that it does help. Bristol is an example, but how many times at Bristol have we seen them lay down the traction compound on the bottom line, they run great, and then it wears off. And next thing you know, they're all back on the high side after 100 right. laps into the race. So I feel like we need a, a more permanent fix to that issue. Other than that, though, once again, I thought this 2019 package delivered a fantastic race at charlotte especially those restarts again we're four wide we're bouncing off each other and again they're really for the most part they're doing it without wrecking how do you go four wide down the front straightaway at charlotte we we were talking about in the all-star race (laughs) and they did it again last week yeah (laughs) it's unbelievable but even with lead changes like they were saying that's the most lead changes yeah you know that was the thing you know guys who were fast and got clean air could pull away and it was a little bit tougher to pass the leader than other cars but it's like that everywhere you race. Right. I'm sorry. I know it's not the greatest thing and you want to see passing. I think that NASCAR has improved the ability to pass the leader, but also made it where the leader isn't a sitting duck. Because mm-hmm. we don't want that. You know, that's when you're getting too much relying on the draft. Even behind the leader, ton of passing. Well, that's the thing. When you're in traffic, that's where we're seeing some great passes being right. made. That's where the struggle has been for a lot of years. We saw guys have incidents, damage their car, and get back to lead. Martin Truex Jr., Kyle Busch, mm-hmm. among two of those drivers who had issues and had good finishes in the race, and it was because they were able to make those passes. Yeah, of course, pitch strategy plays in, but there were a lot of ways that they were able to make that time up, and that's what I think makes a good race. And I know some people, you know, I, I wanted to check the comments afterward and see what the thoughts <laughs> we are. Because, do. <laughs> well, you know, the Coca Cola 600 is a long race, and there's well, talk about said. maybe shortening races, and I don't think we should do that because there's something unique to me about having such a long race. Who else has a 600 miler? 
you know, it, this is really the closest you get to an endurance race in the major divisions before you have like a 12-hour timed race in sports cars or a 24-hour race. Mm -hmm. 600 miles is a long distance, and it's a challenge, and especially on a night as hot as it was at right. Charlotte, we were seeing temperatures upwards of 120 degrees Well, I liked when they were cars. showing us what the drivers wear and stuff like that um, with the the vest harness thing that filters like the water through it and well it stuff. just goes to show you how hot it is and exactly. what you need and then the seat cushion that has like the air and i'll tell you what i learned a valuable lesson about uh, if i ever were to get in a race car i now know courtesy of the nascar drivers only broadcast never dump water on yourself during a race to cool down because yeah. as they said what happens to that water it goes right down your suit hits the seat 120 130 degrees during the day it starts to boil and next thing you know you get quote fried eggs as clint boyer so oh, eloquently gosh. put it <laughs> yeah no thanks <laughs> so that's interesting because i would have never thought of that you think all right dump some water on you but that cool just you goes off, to show yeah. you how hard it is to cool down you think you're going to pour water on yourself and get this gain and it starts boiling in the seat it's so oh. hot in those cars Especially when we saw like some of those daytime practices, we saw highs of 130. Mm -hmm. You know, for these guys, luckily this is races at night, but those Xfinity guys running at one in the afternoon yes. on a sunny day, <laughs> man, did I feel for them. That was a hot and challenging race. And we saw a lot of incidents in that race as well. You know, 10 cautions in the 200 laps that we had there. So right. it was a, a busy weekend at Charlotte. And I think that was a product of that hot and slick racetrack. Taking a look back though at the Coca Cola 600. You know, I was really impressed, like I said, with these Gibbs cars, with the Penske cars, but I also was impressed with Hendrick Motorsports again. They're still not at that level. Penske and Gibbs, they them. are they're another level, but there is a spark in Hendrick Motorsports. Yes. They are clearly catching up. Right. All four cars finished in the top ten, which is something we really haven't how long seen. Ha I was going to say, how long has that Hendrick. been? Right. You know, I, they've really been struggling. And while, once again, other than Talladega, Penske and Gibbs have unbelievably still won every race this season, mm -hmm. Hendrick Motorsports is starting to inch closer, and I think this is a team to watch. 13 races this year, before the break, they were nowhere to be seen. Right, way back. Now, as you look at the way they're running now, it's awesome. Chase Elliott, he led himself 43 laps. William Byron with Chad Knauss, that team they're making is coming moves. together. Yes, they are. I told you to watch <laughs> as Chad Knauss gets used to this, the improvements that that team have been making have been awesome. And honestly, we had this debate earlier in the year. Who's going to win first, Chad Knauss and Byron, Jimmy Johnson and Kevin Mendering? Mm -hmm. I'm kind of starting to think to Byron and, yep. with Chad Knauss because they seem to be up front. The youngest pole sitter for the Coca-Cola 600 ever, William Byron, 21 and a half years old. Jeff Gordon won it prior to that, 22 years old. Yep. The only thing different he didn't do was win the race. Jeff Gordon did that when he won his first career race in 1994, Coca-Cola 600. But William Byron, he led 31 laps. Alex Bowman led a couple of laps, too. Had a, a decent running car. And the finishing the order for that, that team. Up front. Chase Elliott in fourth, Bowman seventh, Johnson eighth, Byron ninth. And, right. and, and there were points where you had all those guys really up by the top five. Each yep. of them had their shot in the top five. So I think they're starting to close in on these guys. Not nearly at the level of Penske and oh, Gibbs no. yet. Those two teams are, are in another level yeah, right now. And you saw it in the results. What was the battle for the win? It was Truex versus Joey Logano. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just what we've seen. And when you look at the, the, the leader chart for the most laps led in the race, once again, you know, Truex led the most laps with his uh, Joe Gibbs number 19. Behind him, Kyle Busch led the most second most laps, 79. Brad Keselowski led 76. Penske. And then you get to Chase Elliott there. So the top three most laps led, two Gibbs cars and a Penske car, and then the finishing order top three, Gibbs, Penske, Gibbs. They still yeah. got a lot of work to catch up <laughs> to these guys. But... I think Hendrick Motorsports is making some moves. And another team that I think 
really deserves a shout out is Roush Fenway Racing. Mm -hmm. I have been hard on this team since last year, but, you know, Roush Fenway has struggled for a long time. They brought on Ryan Newman. I had this debate with Wesley, who is uh, out of town enjoying uh, his uh, long weekend, and he really thought Newman was going to bring something to Roush Fenway Racing. I really didn't see that happening. But I'll tell you what, I've been impressed with the way that they've reacted to this new package and the way that the team has run with Ryan Newman. I think Newman is helping them. And really, I'm making a 180 on that because I, I really was kind of proven wrong by Roush through the first 13 races of the season. Mm-hmm. What, what I found so impressive about Roush Fenway was Newman and Stenhouse really were up in the top 10 most of the race, and they were not doing it on strategy. They were there on their own accord. And, and frankly, I think Newman's finish does not speak for the race he had. They took two tires on a late stop trying to gain some strategy. They got beat around like a pinball on the restart yeah. in the middle of four wide. It might have been even five wide at some points. It was crazy. He gets relegated to an 18th place finish with those poorer tires. And, you know, that was him staying out at the end of the race with five laps to go. I don't say, or getting two tires, rather. I don't really blame him for giving it a shot, but he just got eaten up by those four tires. Stenhouse, on the other hand, top five finish. For Ricky Stenhouse Jr., which is really awesome to see out of that team, because this is this is a team that we've really talked about struggling, mm-hmm. and Roush Fenway has really made an improvement. When you take a look at the playoff standings right now, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. is in 19th, definitely in contention to get in, and Ryan Newman just ahead right yeah. of Ricky Stenhouse, and both of them are in tight contention for this. 305 points. That's that's only six points out of the playoffs right now for Ryan Newman, and it's only eight points out for Ricky Stenhouse Jr. So we have a really tight chase bubble right now, playoff bubble rather, and these guys are very competitive and honestly have a chance to put both Roush Fenway cars in the in playoffs. It, yeah. When is the last time we said that <laughs> after remember. 13 races that both Roush Fenway cars could potentially make the playoffs? Yeah. It's crazy. I, I cannot remember saying that in recent memory. So good for them to see them running up front. Another big shout-out, too, once again to Chris Busher. Yes. I'm impressed with Chris Buescher. He's gaining ground in the playoff standings. He's still got a little way to go. He's 22nd of the points. He has 256 points. The playoff cut right now is, is 311. Mm-hmm. So he's out by 55 points at the moment. But keep watching this team. He's another car that blew a tire, hit the wall, and he seemed pretty torn up. I really didn't expect much out of Busher. Next thing and you know, back, yeah. he comes back, and, and when the checkered flag drops, Chris Busher ends up with a top 10 finish once again. Really just been an impressive run for that entire team with a fantastic finish, putting that car I- into the top 10 once again with damage. Right. So I was really blown away by Chris Buescher and that entire team. Well, you know, before we do go to commercial break here, I got a note. Today, obviously, is Memorial Day. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people having a fantastic day off and a really great weekend, but I think it's so important to look back on what today actually is. Right. You know, today is not about the barbecues. It's not Party, about being at the drinking. beach and having fun. I know we do that. I know we enjoy the day off, but there are so many brave men and women who have gone overseas and done something that a lot of us couldn't even fathom. Mm -hmm. I mean, myself personally, I could never do something like they do. And for a lot of those people that go over there, unfortunately, they don't make it home. They don't make it back to their families because it's dangerous. There's a lot going on over there, and some of these people do lose their life, as we all know. So for all of those who have gone overseas, who have risked their life and who have paid the ultimate price so we can enjoy the beach— and the barbecue and the racing we did yesterday, I think it's important that we take a moment to say thank you to all those great people. And really, I want to recognize motorsports as a whole because of just how patriotic this weekend was. Especially, you know, Indy obviously did a lot. We had military service members, a very extended pre-race ceremonies, just like they did at NASCAR. You have the 21-gun salute that they do. And then we, we come to 
the Coca-Cola 600, and they did something very unique this year. We've seen in past years where they put the name of a fallen soldier in place of the driver name riding with them, and we get to learn their stories throughout the race, and in qualifying, Mike Joy did a fantastic job letting us know all these names, and I thought that was really awesome. I actually knew one of the drivers on the car. Oh, really? You knew one of them? So it's, you know, it's sad to see that, but it's so cool to see them being honored yep. and, and to have their families for someone to be able to come out, enjoy the race and see that. I can and only they imagine get to, that. They get to keep like a part of the car. It's really, it really is beautiful. Yeah. But you know what I got to give them a lot of credit for? And I know some people thought this was a weird move because they didn't do it pre-race, but I personally thought this was so cool. At the end of stage two, they brought the cars down pit road. They stopped the race. They shut them down. Mm-hmm. And in that exact moment, we had a 30 second moment of silence. And all those people packed in those grandstands. It was a good crowd out there for the Coke 600. Right. And all those cars, the drivers, the teams, completely silent in a packed stadium. You could hear a pin drop. Yeah. And I thought that was just such a awesome. cool moment yeah. to see such respect paid Everybody to our together. military. Right. Really awesome moment. And kudos to NASCAR and these teams and IndyCar as well because they did a good job at the Indianapolis 500 for showing their support of our military that members. That is one thing that they don't let get past. I will say NASCAR is very good. is the best out of any sport. Yeah. A lot of people can learn from what they do. So I really right. think that it's important we look back today, remember the amazing men and women who gave their life so we could be free and big shout out to NASCAR for doing something really cool and honoring them at the Coca-Cola 600. Right. Need your NASCAR fix? You're in the right place. It's Flag to Flag on 640 The Hurricane. Flag to Flag on 640 The Hurricane is Jeremy and Kristen hanging with you on your Monday Taking a look back at the Coca-Cola 600, I'll tell you what, Kyle Larson, I thought, had the momentum after winning <laughs> the All-Star have, race. No, you, you always have, like, so much hope, and then you I get do, down on yourself. I do, this is such a good team. <laughs> and Kyle Larson ran up front like this was a good car. And he was up front on the restart where it all went wrong, just got a bad restart, got shuffled back. He was really loose on that restart. And once again got into trouble, and it, it, it just sucks because poor Kyle Larson is fast, but he just can't put it together in a points race. Ross, we saw yeah. it last weekend. He had no issues. He goes out and he wins a million dollars. But unfortunately for him, that doesn't mean anything other than the paycheck. Right. Doesn't count toward the playoffs. Doesn't count toward your standings. And I'll tell you what, it was a big crash for Kyle Larson. He got loose. We talked about it a little bit earlier. He slid down the track and just got clobbered by Austin Dillon, who took a very hard hit as well. He came back up too, and he ended up a. Uh, Taking out the 13 as well. So both Dylan brothers got some damage. The 13 not nearly as severe as the damage that was done to Austin Dillon. The 42 and the 3 absolutely killed and out of the race from that incident. Mm-hmm. And that one relegates uh, Kyle Larson to a 33rd place finish once again. And looking at the points, he's your bubble driver. And I really am shocked by this. If you would have told me Larson is the bubble driver in the playoffs, and we're halfway through. That was the halfway point of the regular season. Kyle Larson in the playoffs by two points. And he wouldn't have been if Eric Jones didn't blow that tire because right. Eric Jones is only two points behind him, and Eric yeah. Jones finished dead last <laughs> right. after blowing that tire on lap 24. So I'm shocked. I just keep waiting for this team to turn that's around. That's the one team I think that you're you're pushing for the that, most. That's the one that yeah. just surprises me the most. Hendrick, I mean, yeah, you expect them to win, but they didn't do great last year either. So coming in, I kind of expected the, the poor performance. I hate right. to say that because it's a great organization. But Kyle Larson and company, I they're on a huge winless streak. And they're not even getting any good finishes so far this year. And that, that's just shocking to me. And if you're Kyle Larson, you got to be worried right now. How can't you be? I mean, you're on the playoff bubble, and we're 13 races in. And what sucks for this team 
I think they know if they can just finish the race, they, they're going to be so, fine. They're right. going to gain positions. They just can't finish. Right. It's 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 unbelievable. So yeah, a really rough day for Kyle or for Kyle Larson. He spins out and just like I said, absolutely clobbered uh, by the three car like in a multi car accident. Gets stuck in that stuff. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, for Kyle Larson, I think the rough part for him is he was the one that got loose. Right. You know, granted, obviously, these cars are hard to control. I think we've seen a huge improvement on saves with the higher downforce this year. I mean, a mm-hmm. lot of instances that should have been wrecks oh, haven't totally been. And I think the downforce, it. you're yeah. seeing that. But obviously, these cars still, as we saw with Kyle Larson, they're still not the easiest things to drive on the planet. Right. And he slid wide. I mean... When you're on those restarts, I don't know how these guys aren't being sucked around more consistently because you got guys three wide in the middle of the corners at Charlotte Motor Speedway, which isn't the widest racetrack we go to by any means. And then they're not wrecking. They're getting loose by a a million times. You see them getting loose. I see them sliding up. I see them. I mean, I'm off my seat. Like, oh, here it goes. And then I'm like, how do they save it? The whole race yesterday, I keep jumping up like, oh, no. (laughs) Wow, they saved it. I couldn't believe it. But we saw with Kyle Larson, too, that it's still possible to spin these things out when you get in a bad spot, which is exactly what happened to Larson, who, like I said, restarted well. He spins out, gets to a big crash, and I'm really worried about Team 42. If they just can't seem to get it together, they're, 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 going they're to. in trouble. Because yeah. I look at the guys behind him, like we just talked about. Right behind him is Eric Jones. And Jones, I feel like, has a big improvement over this year. He's had some bad luck. Mm-hmm. But I think Eric Jones is a guy who could win a race this year. I really do, before we get to the playoffs. And if he does, now Kyle Larson's in big trouble because he now has to catch up to William Byron to get in. And Byron, as we saw, has turned a corner these last few weeks. I think that Byron and these Hendrick guys are going to keep climbing the ranks and are going to be harder to catch. they're doing what they're doing, they will. And they're the two guys that are in front of Larson. Behind him, behind Eric Jones, those two Roush Henry cars we just talked about who have consistently been improving as well. And then you got Larson who has consistently been falling off. So I really think the 42 team, I mean, they got to knock the panic button completely broken off. They got to hit it so hard. Rough now, race for Kyle Now Larson. would be the time to do exactly that. Let's take a look at the uh, NASCAR Xfinity Series. Had some good racing as well. Now, I really enjoyed the drivers-only broadcast. Man, it was a mess. <laughs> it was an absolute mess. But I had a lot of fun watching this thing. So, basically... It's always fun when everything turns completely haywire. You know, uh, I do the KVJ show on 97.9 WRMF, and when the host of the show, Kevin... Goes out of town. We'll do a show without him, and it's kind of and it calamity. Goes <laughs> it really is, and that's something where it's like it's fun when it happens. It's different. You don't want it every single day, right? But it's fun to have it every now and then, and that's what the drivers only broadcast really is. I loved that because the guys are having fun. You know, you got Boyer in the booth. Who Boyer is such a fun guy to listen to. You got uh, you know, then, then you add in Kevin Harvick up there who did a fantastic job. I think Logano was in the booth as well. Brad Keselowski hosting from the studio might be the best one of the group. I think Harvick's got some broadcasting chops. Chad Knaus is definitely the best broadcaster of the group. I think he's got a career there. I think Knaus maybe would have been good in the booth, honestly, but they sent um, Chad to the studio. He was out there with Brad Keselowski, and I got to give him credit because they wrapped up practice basically at 12 o'clock, and they had to go to the Charlotte studio because that's where they do the show from, the pre-race, so they had to go all the way out there and then uh, Pit Road team was uh, quite interesting. Eric Jones, Bubba Wallace. I-, I love me some Bubba Wallace. And Ryan Blaney. So Bubba, I, I like Bubba. I'm not sure about <laughs> He might want to stick to his-, his day job. I don't think he's Pit Reporter extraordinaire. They come back from commercial, and he's just standing there. For- I mean, this must have been 30 seconds long. And then he didn't even know. He had nothing to say. He was like, oh, okay, uh, let's, go- let's go to whoever's next. By the way, when he, I think, I don't know if it was right then and there, but when he said he was doing a report and he said, okay, 
toss into whoever's next. Didn't know the name of the person who was going next. That was so funny. And then they did a segment where it was walking and talking with Bubba, and they're kind of walking through the garage, and he's chatting with Ross Chastain. Mm-hmm. And he reports on Chastain later in the race, and he says, the four car, I don't know who's driving it. I'm like, you did an interview with the guy, like, earlier this morning. <laughs> It was such calamity, and like I said, the, the, the combo of uh, Harvick, Logano, Boyer, it. they kept me laughing the whole race. Yep. I had a great time, and I hope NASCAR keeps that going. I'm sure there are some people out there who are going to hate on it because it wasn't professional, Right. but screw that. I had a good time. Let's have a little bit of fun every now and then. Drivers only broadcast, I think they need to keep. That was a, that was a fantastic uh, show. I really enjoyed that, and I love the guys in the booth basically saying, why do they keep letting us do this? Like, how have they let us come back <laughs> yeah, three years in a row? Sometimes we wonder, too. <laughs> I'll tell you what, though, they're helping, me make, they're helping make me look a little bit better than I actually am, so I appreciate that. Oh, my So Lord. thank you, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the actual Xfinity race, some of the big moments in that one. So a dominating day for Tyler Reddick. Man, this kid is good. Defending series champion Richard Childress speaks very highly of him, talking about how he's going to be a superstar. And we saw that run at Kansas when he drove the 31 in a one-off race. Had a fantastic run, got a top-10 finish. You know, just his second cup start. So I'm really impressed with Tyler Reddick. This is a guy who's going to be cup racing, but not before long. We're going to see him pretty we quick. We were talking about that last week. So he goes out, and he takes the checkered flag. So he's got another win here, and he is the points leader. And he's got himself a nice little gap on the points lead as well following this race. 65-point advantage over Christopher Bell. So, I mean, we're talking really a full race worth of points that he's leading the championship standings by. So a comfortable lead in the playoffs with a couple of wins for Tyler Reddick. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I do want to talk about something during the race, though, that I felt was not good, not a good call on the officials' part. Uh, you know, NASCAR is, first and foremost, their job is to be safe for these drivers. And I know some people hate it when safety gets in the way of a fantastic finish. We've seen instances yeah, like that. Break. But you know you what? Have to. At the yeah. end of the day, safety is the name of the game. Right. You got to remember, even with the slower speeds we did at Charlotte, these guys are still doing 160. Mm-hmm. At the end of stage one, With about two to go, there was a large piece of obviously metal debris sitting right in the groove in turn three. And it got hit by multiple cars. And and right on the final lap of stage three, second place Cole Custer got huge damage. Luckily able to rebound, but that thing went right into his front end and really tore him up. And NASCAR never threw the caution, and I think their thinking was, all right, well, we're going to get a yellow in two laps for the end of the stage. Yeah, but two laps, you could totally take that piece out. But that was such a big beast. That's the thing. Right. And we saw it. It got hit multiple times, and it tore up a good car. Mm -hmm. I get that we want to see stage finishes. Custer was close to first place in that stage and had a chance to compete for it. But I'm sorry. In that moment, that that should have ended under caution. Right. Something that big enough needed to be taken care of. Yeah, and I really, I I did not like that call. I'm sorry. I'm not usually one to go after NASCAR on some of their calls because I understand when you're doing race control, that's a tough gig to have. Any call you make, you're going to be scrutinized for it. And you're doing it in a split second. Second, But when it comes in terms of safety like that, that's NASCAR's duty to keep these drivers safe. And they didn't throw the caution there. I think it's a complete failure on their part. Definitely surprised by that. So Well, they, they throw cautions for other smaller stuff. Oh, yeah, they've thrown it for much smaller stuff right. by a lot of means they have. Right, We've seen right. it quite a few times. I just think that I don't care how close you are to the stage end. If there is something on the track, I don't care if five of the ten cars have finished. Right. Caution needs to come out. Stage ends are not the finish. Because there's still the other drivers on the track. Yeah. Right. I, are, well, the stage end is not the finish. I'm sorry. Right. I get that there's stuff on the line. I get we want exciting stage finishes. It does not matter, though. 
and you put people in danger as far as yeah, I'm concerned by leaving that debris out there. if that was you hitting that and not knowing what was going to happen when you hit that, you would be freaking. Yeah. So, t- to me, I-, I really thought that was a terrible call. As I'm watching, I'm like, are they really not going to throw this caution in terms of a stage finish? Exciting racing is what we want, but it's not the priority. Right. I'm sorry. So, that's my rant against NASCAR's call in the Xfinity race. And don't worry, I got a nice rant coming up for you <laughs> IndyCar fans, too. The Indianapolis 500. Huge rant that I've got Uh-oh. ready for you on the IndyCar race coming up I'm in just immensely. a little bit. You're you preparing for it? <laughs> I'm trying. We'll get to that in just a second, but let's talk NASCAR Hall of Fame. We got our next class of inductees for the NASCAR Hall of Fame earlier in the week. Fun to watch that. So the biggest name, I think, going in, we talk about drivers. A first-time ballot for Tony Stewart. First time he was eligible, and he is going into the Hall of Fame. And I thought it was really cool, too. Uh, I don't know if you noticed, uh, after he was inducted, uh, they unveiled the throwback schemes for three of the four Stewart Haas cars when we get to the Southern 500 throwback weekend on Labor Day. Mm -hmm. And they are each going to run Tony Stewart's three championship-winning paint schemes. So he's got his 2011 uh, red and black paint scheme that's going to be put on one of the cars. I believe that's Clint Boyer's number 14. Mm -hmm. And then we've got two separate Home Depot schemes. His 2005 orange Home Depot and then the 2002 one with the white on it. Eric Amarola. So we got those three cars all going to run in the same race. I thought that was even cool that the uh, Haas logo, because, you know, Home Depot, not a sponsor anymore. They made the Haas logo look like the Home Depot logo. So it's got the square and the Haas is kind of sideways. So it, it resembles the Home Depot look. I thought that was so cool for them to do that. So, yeah, Suarez has got that one, and then uh, Eric Amarola's got the 2002 throwback scheme. Really cool little tribute. And get this, Tony Stewart, 88% of the votes in the panel went to Tony Stewart as far as yes or no in that top five. So he was in the top five of 88% of the ballots. He still has a fan base. No, just kidding. (laughs) Well, that's that's the voting panel (laughs) on that. So Tony Stewart, congratulations. Uh, You look back at his record, three career championships, 49 cup wins. That's a pretty big number. 15 career polls as well. And he won two of those championships for the car owner who is destroying the competition in NASCAR right now, Joe Gibbs, who is also going into the Hall of Fame. You know, we obviously Joe Gibbs has got quite a few championships. He's got two with Tony Stewart. Mm-hmm. Bobby Labonte, I believe, in 2000 won the title for him as well. Uh, when you look, of course, Kyle Busch won a title a couple of years ago. Uh, Martin Truex Jr. is now driving for him, who Mary Moore could bring him another title, I think. You know, Truex won a title for Furniture Row, but that was an affiliated team. So it's kind of like there was a little bit of a connection mm-hmm. to Joe Gibbs racing there. Very deserved Hall of Fame inductee, I think, for Joe Gibbs. Yes. Absolutely. And he's going to be joining a couple other car owners who are in there, major Hall of Famers. Um, cool and I thought that see. was really good. Yeah. You know, the, the, the debate about the Hall of Fame, and I was watching um, Motorheads on NBC as they were announcing them and they were taking callers from people. The debate about the Hall of Fame is maybe that too many people are getting inducted because if you keep doing five each and every single year, then the talent pool starts to drop off, you know? Okay. There's only so many greats. And I've heard that debate before. So the question comes in, one, are guys being inducted completely deserving of it? And two, are there other guys that should have gone in first from NASCAR's golden era back in the day that haven't gotten in. Yeah, but how can you say they're not deserving of it? Like, well, that, look it, at that their depends stats. on your. Well, not, I'm, not, I'm talking about that. Those two are deserving, I think. Bobby Labonte oh, okay. is the third inductee, and this mm-hmm. is the one that I think had most talk. Now, I think Bobby Labonte is a fantastic race car driver. He's had a great record, and he's definitely a good cup driver. Mm-hmm. The debate is whether or not Bobby Labonte is Hall of Fame material. And I'm curious what you think on this. The stats say one championship. It came in 2000 in the Monster or Energy Cup Series, back then the Winston Cup. 21 career wins, 26 poles through cup competition. And the debate is, is Bobby Labonte deserving? Maybe he's not deserving. Is he at a place where he should have went in ahead of some other names back from NASCAR's golden era that are not quite in yet? And I think that's a logistical, I think that's a logical debate, rather. Now, I think Bobby Labonte, look, if you're a champion and you win 20 races, you've been a good driver. 
Yeah, but does it? I don't know if that is, to enough. me, enough for Hall of Fame. Right. I think, you know, a championship helps, but I really think you need to get a little bit more wins than that. And maybe down the road if there were less guys that were really eligible for it. But, you know, look at Tony Stewart. Three championships, 50 wins. You look at the other guys that are in the Hall of Fame. you got Richard Petty with the 76 career, or, or sorry, 200 career wins. Gordon. And Dale Earnhardt, obviously, right. with 76 career wins. Jeff Gordon, 93 wins, all right. those championships. They're guys like high, like, high numbers. You know Jimmy Johnson is going to be in when he is right. eligible. You know Kyle Busch is going to be in championship and basically 50 career wins and all those Xfinity wins. There are a lot of guys on that level that I, I know the debate is they should go in ahead. Now, I like Bobby Labonte, and I don't have a problem, per se, with him in the Hall of Fame, but I see the argument. And if I was on the voting panel, I don't think I put Bobby Labonte quite into the Hall of Fame. I don't think you can, because like you just said, there's other people in front of him that have done, like, so much more. Or even just help build the sport. I don't think it's all about stats. I really don't. You know, let's go back here. Take a look at your other Hall of Famers that have been inducted. Buddy Baker has less wins, 19 wins, Mm -hmm. but he has 38 polls. But this is a guy... Talk about an Iron Man who made He's 700 right. Cup Series starts between 1959 and 1992. Right. To me, that's a Hall of Fame career because this is one of the good old boys. This guy He's was there when NASCAR from, started. Exactly. Now, that's not to say that Bobby Labonte hasn't done that as well, but I just see a little bit of a difference in those two. While the stats for Bobby might two, be a little bit better, pick, right. I think that Buddy Baker is somebody who helped build NASCAR through that modern era. Right. And those are some of the guys I agree with. The, the final inductee, Waddell Wilson as well, I think, is a big name. And for those of you who don't know the name Waddell Wilson, he is a former crew chief and more well-known as the engine builder. He was a crew chief for the Daytona 500 in 1980, 83, 94. He won those three races. He was an engine builder and crew chief, or, or should I say, rather, he was either a crew chief or an engine builder for Holman Moody Racing, which is a, a really far-back old team, Harry Reiner, and Hendrick Motorsports. Drivers that he had worked with included Bobby Allison, Mario Andretti, Buddy Baker, who we just mentioned got in there, Jeff Bodine, A.J. Foyt, Junior Johnson, Fred Lorenzen, Cale Yarbrough, and Ricky Rudd. All to his name. That is such a deserving person Mm -hmm. to be in the NASCAR Hall of Fame with everything they've done. So that's something I think that's cool about the Hall of Fame. It's not all drivers. You know, this is a guy who has spent so much time in the sport and has done fantastic things. You think about winning the Daytona 500, you got to think about those crew chiefs sometimes, those engine builders that go into it, because they're the guys that have a lot to do with those wins, too. Right. I think it's a very deserving person. The debate is that there are other people, maybe like a Waddell Wilson, who have had that role that maybe should have went in before Bobby Labonte. And I can see that debate. Now, am I going to go home tonight and be like, Bobby Labonte's in the Hall of Fame. That's ridiculous. I can't believe it. No, because he's a champion. Right. You know, I think the championship adds a little bit to it. But, but maybe move him down the totem pole a little bit. Maybe Bobby Labonte doesn't go in this year. Right. And he's been on the, the ballot a few years. I just, it, it feels weird to say Bobby Labonte is a NASCAR Hall of Famer when there were so many names back in the day that, you know, still haven't had the opportunity to be in that really built the sport. Right. So we'll see. And, I, you know, that was kind of the debate online. A lot of people, of course, backing up Bobby Labonte. And by no means, I'm not hating on Bobby Labonte getting no, into the Hall of Fame again, whatsoever. There's a little bit more from others. I agree. Who, yeah. Absolutely. All right, let's get to Indy 500. Coming up next, we're going to talk the greatest spectacle in motorsports, and it was a fantastic run, and we got that for you in just a few minutes. From green to checkered, we've got you covered. It's flag to flag on 640 The Hurricane. It's tough to find anything bigger than the Indianapolis 500. It's flag to flag on 640 The Hurricane. Jeremy and Kristen breaking down this weekend. All week. Well, I mean, (laughs) there are a few things that get me more excited than the Indy 500. If somebody tells me, hey, we need to do something for work on a Sunday. um, You're like, no. I quit. (laughs) I quit. It's not happening. Unless I'm covering the Indianapolis 500 or the Coke 600, you are not getting me to do anything. 
because this is my sacred day. Glued you come to the TV. over, you're like in the bed, like oh, sheets. I... Your cat's like on your forehead. Uh, she'd prefer <laughs> like... that probably, that cat. No, I, I, I'm on the couch all day, going between it, and I take meal breaks in between the races. That's pretty much how my day went, and it was the best day ever. Let's talk about this fantastic race. First and foremost, Simon Pagano. Dominating performance. He led 122 laps, I believe uh, it was. Yes, it was. 120, 116 laps, rather. He led in that race of 200 laps. So that's a heck of a number, especially in a race where it's tough to stay out front. Right. This new aero package is not as easy to pass as, say, two years ago with the DW12 chassis. But we definitely saw some fantastic racing out of it. Still, fairly clean race as well. We only had four caution flags, and 8500 can be a pretty treacherous race. We mm -hmm. saw four major incidents in practice. So to see the race go clean, that was really nice they for the most part. Yeah. Simon Pagano definitely didn't have it easy. What a battle at the end. Alexander Rossi, I thought he got him for a second. He got by him, and I'm like, all right, it was too soon. Because these guys, I, we saw the passing at the end. Every time they got past the start-finish line, boom, around the outside, somebody got the big run and made a pass. Mm -hmm. But Pagano was not going to be denied. I saw him not get him one lap. I'm like, oh, no, is, is Pagano going to miss out on this? He gets back by him, and Alexander Rossi is coming with a lap and a half to go. He makes that pass. Rossi's coming back to him. Down the back straightaway, Rossi had the run he needed, but Pagano wanted it more. I mean, he outdrove him. It was like a snake. Yeah. They came off a turn four. He dives <laughs> down to the bottom. Rossi follows him, still closing in, back to the top, back to the bottom, back to the top. And... and Rossi gets his momentum broke by that. What a great job of cutting the draft. That driving was unbelievable. And it was just enough for Pagano to get back to the start-finish line because Rossi got the runoff turn four, but because of the way the back straightaway went in the entrance to turn three, he wasn't close enough to do anything with it. Pagano gets the, the win, 18th win in the Indianapolis 500 for Roger Penske. That's 13 more than any other car owner in history. Such a dominant Indianapolis 500 That's performance awesome. as usual. I mean, you just can't bet against Penske when you go to the Indianapolis 500. Simon Pagano with a huge win. Alexander Rossi, second place. I'm telling you, Rossi's one of the guys that I know Penske's kind of headhunting right now. Mm -hmm. He is doing a fantastic job and competitive in the points as well. So Alexander Rossi, a second place finish. And remember, he won the Indianapolis 500 a couple of years ago, too. So Rossi knows how to get it done. Right. You know what else was so impressive about this race? Simon Pagano did something incredible. He swept the month of May. The Indy Grand Prix two weeks prior, he won that race. And he did it in fantastic fashion, just like this. Lap and a half to go, he made the pass for the lead after running this guy down Owns it. from so far back <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to running Dixon down. Then he goes out and he wins the pole for the Indianapolis 500. And this is a guy, by the way, who's in a contract here. And there's rumors that Penske isn't going to keep him. Yeah, well, I would Because the performance that. last year, he was on a <laughs> one-year winless streak after last season. Then he comes in and he wins the Indianapolis 500. If you were ever trying to prove why your contract should be renewed, <laughs> I think <laughs> that's how you do it. It's going to be tough to say, yeah, we're not going to take you next year right. after you did that. And to, to make matters just a little bit better for Mr. Pagano, he's now the championship points leader. Oh. Now he's only got a one-point advantage. That's Joseph Newgarden in but. second. But he is your points leader <laughs> after the Indianapolis 500. His teammate one point back. And Alexander Rossi sitting there at 228 points in third. He's back by just, you know, a little bit. So he is not that far out of the lead. Takumo Sato, who finished third in the Indianapolis 500 with a strong running right there and fourth in the standing. Scott Dixon, who had a rough Indianapolis 500. He's currently fifth in the points. Let's talk about some of the action on track. Uh, now, I, I promised you a rant All about right, Indianapolis. I, I really did get frustrated with this. Now, IndyCar is one of those sports, you know, just like NASCAR, their goal is to keep things safe. Mm -hmm. And I understand that. Now, they're a little bit harder with pit roll rules than NASCAR when it comes to safe, safety incidents. In NASCAR, if there's an incident on pit road that involves contact, for the most part, 
That's just racing. Mm-hmm. IndyCar doesn't take as kindly to that. They think if there's contact on pit road, that was avoidable. You're going to get a penalty for it. So early on in the race, we're talking the first pit stop. Elio Castroneves, who had a very rough Grand Prix a couple of weeks ago. Elio Castroneves is a three-time Indianapolis 500 champion, and he's had the opportunity to come back and run this race as a one-off. And, I, you know, I really want to see Elio get the fourth one. I know that as the years go on and the less he's running the cars, it's going to be harder and harder of a challenge, but it would be so cool. Mm-hmm. So Elio Castroneves is coming down pit road, and he's following James Davidson right in front of him. And Elio kind of goes down to the inside, maybe looking to be a little bit smart, comes back to the right lane upon realizing I think that Davidson's going to pit. Well, at that moment, Davidson, I think, is missing his pit box. And he realizes it, and he gets on the brakes and tries to turn in. But Castroneves, I don't think, saw that coming. And he rear-ends him, and he spins Davidson into his pit box and hits a tire. Tire, like, launches in the air, and it's a bit of a dangerous situation. Damages the front wing to Elio Castroneves. It takes him about a minute on pit road to fix that. Now, here's my problem. IndyCar then issues the avoidable contact penalty. I get why they have those rules for safety, and I applaud that. I don't think you can call that avoidable contact, though, because here comes Elio Castroneves. The guy in front of him is about to miss his box, and he hits the brakes pretty hard trying to make it. It's just like being brake checked here. It kind of was, in my mind. You know, not to say that that Davidson was trying to brake check Castroneves by any means. I think he's just like, oh, no, Pip's right there, and he he turns, and he gets rear-ended. I don't think that that warranted a penalty. There are things that are just racing incidents, and that's one of my problems with a lot of these other racing divisions when they throw these avoidable contact penalties out. I'm like, look, they were racing hard, and stuff happens. Mm-hmm. The penalty for Castroneves was that he had to sit there and change his whole front wing because he knocked it in when he rear-ended the guy in front of him. I don't think there should have been a penalty on that, and that really, I thought, was a terrible call. And as I looked back through a lot of the comments, there were, there were quite a few people who agreed with that, too. Avoidable contact penalties are good for when an incident is unnecessary and shouldn't have happened. But I think we need to be more lenient on this. There are racing incidents, and then there are things where you were just being stupid. Right. That was or a racing purposely. incident, even if it was on pit road. Of course, yeah, if it's anything intentional, then yeah. Right. But it, on pit road like that, I know that you want it to be as safe as possible because that's where the crews are. But I'm sorry. I don't think Elio did anything wrong there. I think just it was just a guy was about to miss his box, and he tried to get in at the last second, and there was it contact. just happened at, yeah. Racing incident that killed Elio's race. He ended up a lap down. At one point, I think it was two laps down, and uh, Castroneves came home way in the back of the field, outside the top 20. And I know that's disappointing for Castroneves, who just really wants to win this Indianapolis 500. It's really the only thing he does in IndyCar mm-hmm. the month of May, and for it to fall apart literally before the first quarter of the race wasn't is over. Even exactly how they portrayed it. Yeah, it, it it's really just it was disappointing to say the least for Elio Castroneves. Right. Fairly clean race in general. The first uh, major incident was a wreck that happened about 80 laps in, and that was a sad one to see. It was Kyle Kaiser, and we were talking about him last week. He was the feel-good story that knocked Fernando Alonso out of the Indianapolis 500 with an underfunded team. Unfortunately, he lost it, tore the car up in a crash, and was not able to rebound. Uh, Another incident happened uh, with one of the uh, Schmidt-Peterson cars spinning onto pit road. That was the third caution of the day. Fourth caution, though, was a big one. And there was some debate over this one. Now, I, I, I don't want to put blame on these drivers when you're going 220 miles an hour into a corner trying to make a decision. But when you look at the replay, you know, you can obviously see who made the wrong move. Mm-hmm. Going down to the corner, uh, Graham Rahal was definitely alongside heading into turn three, Simon or, uh, Sebastian Bourdais, rather. And really, I don't know if Bourdais just didn't think he was there enough or if Bourdais didn't think he was going to have the run or maybe he just thought that he wasn't close enough where he was going to stay in there and he was going to back out. Mm -hmm. But Bourdais just drove him right into the grass, basically. He came right across his nose and it set off a chain reaction crash. The both of them went up into the wall. Bourdais completely on his side with the cockpit riding up against the wall. And then the guys behind this trying to slow down. They just start piling into one another. We have another three cars get involved. Felix Rosenquist, Charlie Kimball, Zach Veach. 
get together behind them, causing that wreck. And minor damage, Scott Dixon. That's where his race really went haywire. He got hit in the front wing in that wreck. He ends up having to go down pit road, make some repairs. That relegated him back to that 17th place finish that we referenced earlier. There was definitely some frustration at Graham Ray Hall. He went up to uh, Bourdais, and he started slapping his helmet <laughs> as Uh-oh. he was sitting in the car. First, the hel- you know the hands are up, and you can see he stops. like He's still crashing, and he's like flailing his arms. I mean, he hasn't even stopped yet. He's that mad. He takes his... Uh, his steering wheel, and he chucks the thing right outside the car. He's he's mad, and luckily everybody's okay. I think uh, Bourdais came to the realization that look, I, uh, you know, I I didn't think that he was going to be there, and I came down and just you know it's racing, which is really it was. Right. But at the end of the day, ends up taking out Graham Rahal, pretty frustrated, and an unfortunate way to end the race. That set up the final dash to the end of the race, and it really made it quite exciting. I think. Another thing that they did during the race, and honestly, I don't know why IndyCar made this decision, was following that wreck. The smart move, which is what they did. They red flagged the race because the cleanup was taking a while. And we don't want to run out all those laps. You know, there's no overtime mm-hmm. in IndyCar racing. And they needed a substantial cleanup, so we would have run the laps out. What I don't understand is when IndyCar brought the yellow back out, we then ran around under caution for seven laps. Why did we not just stay under the red flag and get those laps under green? And I know a lot of people were very confused by that move. I mean, what's the point of red flagging a race to then eat up seven of the remaining 20 or so laps running around under caution right afterward? Keep the cars on pit road, red flagged, come out, run whatever lap or two that you need to open pit road. Shouldn't be more than three laps, honestly. And then we get to see the racing. That was the point of red flagging it was so that we could see more racing at the end. Why in the world? Would you send them back out and then blow seven laps under caution? Maybe I don't they thought understand them, like, just it. Sitting on the pit would just like lose. I don't. I don't think there's anything. There. I, I don't I, know. But, like, oh, they're not racing. Let's change the channel. Um, I don't know. Just, just more so in, in my mind. I'm like, guys, are we are we really going to be in a position where everybody's going to leave as opposed to being under caution? Because it's not this. You know, they're just running under caution at that point too. You know, right. and the red flag was long. Don't get me wrong. I, I mean, we had to have gone about fifteen to twenty minutes, I think, under the red flag. But that's just what happens. Right. You know, the drivers were still in their cars. It wasn't a situation like where okay, the race is stopping like for a stuck. while. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't one of those massive crashes where the red flag is going to come out for an hour and everybody's like, all right, you can get out of your cars. It was a situation where we just needed a little time to clean up and we didn't want to run all the laps out. And I thought, okay, great, they're red flagging it, and then they throw the caution back out and they waste seven laps. I just don't understand it. And I thought that, mm. you know, that, that race we'll could have know. been more interesting. <laughs> I, I don't know what the call was. I don't know why IndyCar did it. Unfortunately, I'm not in the booth. And again, you know, look, right. I know it's hard to call these races. That decision as a fan, and I know a lot of people online had the same opinion, was confusing to me. Because here I am sitting here wondering why in the world we're still under this caution watching the laps countdown. Yeah. I mean, Pit Road didn't even seem to open for two or three laps. Hmm. So I, I just, very just confusing yeah, call. I, I, I can't figure that one out. Just don't really understand why IndyCar went with that move. All in all, though, with a couple of those issues, a couple of wrecks, we had a fantastic Indianapolis 500. Fantastic day of racing. Lewis Hamilton wins that Grand Prix of Monaco in F1. Indianapolis 500, of course, was an unbelievable race. And then uh, the Coca-Cola 600 definitely delivered in a long edition. That was the first time we closed in on five hours in a lot of years. Although, for those of you who are complaining it was too long, let's go back to when NASCAR was really in its heyday. 2005, (laughs) the almost six-hour running of the Coca-Cola 600. I think it was five and a half hours. 22 caution flags. They had that night. It is a Cup Series record. So I guess we got off lucky with 16 (laughs) cautions this time around, knowing what could happen at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Well, this weekend, more racing action, and it is Pocono for the NASCAR Cup Series and Xfinity Series. Pocono Green 250 is going to be running 1 p.m. on FS1 Saturday afternoon, and the Pocono 400 going to be Sunday 2 p.m. on FS1 as well. FS1 going to be the home of NASCAR for the next couple of weeks before NBC takes over at the end of the month. 
And IndyCar fans, good news. you got two races this weekend. Back-to-back, it's the Chevrolet Duel at Detroit. The Grand Prix right there at Belle Island is a fantastic race. And the promoter of that race, Roger Penske. So a little more pressure on those Penske guys to probably go out and win that thing. 3 p.m. on NBC, both Saturday and Sunday. You can catch those races. We'll catch you back next week to recap all of the action from the Tricky Triangle. Thanks for hanging with us on your Memorial Day. We'll see you next time.